Hey listeners, we're starting something new and exciting. If you've been enjoying our show, be sure to sign up for our new monthly newsletter. Visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com to sign up for our newsletter today. This week's episode is a playback episode with our interview with Sean David Demers. Keep listening to find out why you should throw away your first 10 plays. We love talking to Sean, who's incredibly cheerful and funny, probably because he takes so many naps. You won't be disappointed. At the end of this year, we'll keep playing old favorites from our year. Thanks for listening. Listeners, you're listening to Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. And today, you're all lucky. You're so lucky. We have a wonderful guest on the show. He is Sean David Demers. He is a playwright with New England and New York City roots. His plays include Faculty Portrait, which was produced at IRT Theater in New York City, the musical Jules Verne's From the Earth to the Moon with Fringe New York City, Little Blue Pill was read at the Last Frontier Conference in 2019 and encapsulated, produced by the Navigators as part of their One Act Sci-Fi Play Festival. Sean has two short plays published by Samuel French Concord Theatricals, their Off-Tackle Glide and Four Movements. Sean is a graduate of Iowa MFA Playwrights Workshop. That's where we met him. Uh, <laughs> and recently picked up a project, started there with the play Faye by translating and adapting the existing integrating plays, starting with the most obscure. Sean, welcome. Hello, hello, yeah, thanks. Good to be here. <laughs> We're so glad to have you on Beckett's Babies. Oh, it's thrilling. I, you know, I, I like Beckett uh, and I like babies, so. <laughs> <laughs> two for two so far, good. Awesome. Oh. Um, so we like to start our show asking all of our guests this question. Uh, tell us your earliest memory. What was your life like before theater? Oh, wow. I mean, and this goes way back. I mean, both of you know, this is like, you know, deep, deep, uh, a long time ago. Um, so I'm thinking this morning was probably my earliest memory. And I woke up and uh, <laughs> greeted the day. I went shopping uh, this morning. So, um, no, my my actual earliest recollection had to do with pain uh and uh i was maybe like two years old and i remember i was in my high chair and near the washing machine and just behind the washing machine there was um uh, keys so that's where uh my mom and dad kept their keys and they're so shiny i don't know if you have a set of keys now but they're they can be really <laughs> shiny and like attractive and and as a kid, it's even better. Have you and have you ever seen those plastic keys that you can buy? Oh yes, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and they're huge too. Like, what are you opening with those keys? But the it was very shiny. So I remember going after them, and then I fell off the washing machine, 
and broke wait, my Wait, wait, wait. Your high it, chair was on the washing machine? It was next to it. So like So you climbed out of the high chair onto the washing machine and then Yeah. Fell? Super oh. dangerous. And uh and I fell to the floor and broke my front teeth and <gasps> it was my entire early life before theater was was the kid who had no two front teeth. I feel like I remember you telling this story. Before. Yeah, I tell it a lot. I uh That's wow, that's an amazing <laughs> first memory. Wow. Yeah, pain I think is uh is something that just triggers, you know, you just remember those things that are disastrous mm. and tragic. Do you have any specific memory about how your parents responded to this injury? Just panic, absolute utter panic. Screaming, throwing me into cars, you know, I I know it was all I know after that it was just a flood of um <laughs> energy. <laughs> like Yeah. And and not great energy. You know, when you're in those kind of situations, it's always, uh, I, I just can still feel this, that it's so tense. Uh, and I still sense it in my dad uh, in general, like when I'm just talking to him, like I know when he's getting tense. And I think that was the earliest memory I have of like, oh, I know when things are getting <laughs> like a little too far for him. Wow. Wow. Okay, so so little Sean with no front teeth, mm -hmm. at what point did you become interested in theater? Uh, yeah, it was really, um, the first time was in middle school. I was in sixth grade. And I remember it It's so clearly like a, an aha moment, like those, you know, very clear memories of like, oh, this was the moment where I'm like, this is this is an option. Like, theater is a thing. Theater is an outlet. Uh, and I remember very clearly because what had just happened is I was putting a lot of pressure on myself in school. And this is sixth grade. Who does that? But I kind of had a, a breakdown. Mm. Uh, and I remember actually going, visiting the guidance counselor at the time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Multiple times. Like, we had a, a weekly session because uh, it was just too much for me. And mm -hmm. then there was this assembly and uh, I don't even remember what they were doing. It was just, they, they were, they had an assembly to be like, Hey, the school play is coming up and we're doing this thing. It, I, I want to remember that it was taming of the shrew. Uh, I don't think that's actually what they were doing, but like <laughs> <laughs> all that I can see is like, it was almost like an Elizabethan prop shop blew up. And they're just like wearing, you know, corsets and dresses and there's jumping around. <laughs> oh. and, uh, that's all I really remember. So it must be Taming of the Shrew. That's basically how you do it, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> a man and a woman running around just yelling at each other. That was Shakespeare's vision. Absolutely. Uh, and then a bunch of jokes, uh, off-color jokes. Um, so that was kind of like the first moment where it was like, oh, this this is a thing? Like I could actually do this? and mm -hmm. Since and what moment, what role did you have in this production? Uh, I was a spectator, but oh, um, I see. But it just I, made an impression on you. Yeah, I was very good at it, uh, watching it. Um, <laughs> but but later in that that year, they said, "Oh, and we're also having auditions." And they did uh, the spring musical, which was Barnum. I don't know if you're familiar with the musical Barnum. No, uh, uh -oh. it's it's as you might expect. It's about P.T. Barnum. The uh, but it's. Mm. In hindsight, it's a very strange choice for a middle school. There's an entire 
entire song where he's justifying adultery. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's like the wow. album closer. It's like the big, all right, we're going to send you off to intermission while this guy is really kind of debating about how he needs to leave his wife uh, and follow his, his love. Um, yeah. So very, very odd choice for, you know, <laughs> sixth graders, but uh, you know, we did it. <laughs> and, and after that point, it was sort of like, I would go to school, to, which was fine. I did not try very hard at the school. And I was just waiting for those announcements like, oh, drama club auditions coming up and then rehearsals. And that was pretty much the rest of my school, like school life in grade school. So did you, um, when did you start um, writing plays? And, and, you know, actually take that back. I know, I think from, if I recall, you're an actor or you are an actor still. And then you got into playwriting or were you doing both at the same time? Yeah, I, I definitely started uh, acting. I don't, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, the, the two of you, because it's something that I, I never really talk about. Did the two of you start with acting? I did when I was a kid. Yeah, for sure. But mm-hmm. then in college, pretty quickly, I switched to playwriting. Yeah, I think um, for me, I I was I was in a theater class in high school, just for like you know an easy class that I thought I could just take, and that was the one <laughs> I performed. Yeah. And then in college, I I didn't act, but I was in like a a solo performance class, so like writing and performing my own stuff. Um, but I wasn't like remembering other people's lines and <laughs> yeah. <nothing> like that. <laughs> I find that so fascinating because I, I, I think there's like almost, not that there's two camps, there's like 500 camps, but there are folks who kind of like start in acting and even just like grade school and they, they're aware of theater and sort of get a sense of what it is to embody like a character and go on stage and do mm-hmm. things and then mm-hmm. kind of segue into writing maybe eventually. And mm-hmm. then folks that just kind of come to it from a writer point of view. And I find that those are, like can be vastly different um, mm-hmm. avenues. Um, coming at it from an actor, I don't know. I just felt like writing was always on the table um, mm. because when you're, especially in a grade school that doesn't really have a lot of money, it's like you're, there's not just actors. Like you have to be the actor and you also have to be a lot of the tech going into it. You have to go and help build the sets. You know, you have right. to like, so right. there's a lot more. So you're learning a lot more about theater in general. Uh, and I remember the, the very first play that I wrote was a children's play. Uh, I don't even remember what the name of it was, uh, but a friend of mine had a children's theater. And I was like, hey, let me write you a play. And she was like, cool. Uh, and so I did what all great, you know, writers do who have never written anything. I just like stole somebody else's story. Um, <laughs> like, I used to really love uh, Danny Kaye movies, uh, old like 40s uh, musical movies. So he did a movie called The Court Jester, uh, which actually has Angela Lansbury in it and Basil Rathbone. And he also did a movie called The Inspector General, which I found out was based on the Nikolai Gogol play. Mm. So I kind of took those two stories and mashed them together and came up with this children's story. Um, but that was kind of my first awareness of the history of theater. So the idea that, oh, this movie was actually based on this Russian play. I'm, I'm curious about that. I would love to read that play as well. 
um, vastly different because you know in the 40s if you're if you were doing a Danny Kay musical you're like okay we're gonna write things for Danny Kay and here's the loose like story that we're gonna base it around um, so it's, it's much more musical than uh, than anything else um, but that was like the first thing I wrote but then I, I didn't really get into writing per se um, mm -hmm. it kind of like to follow my writing journey it went from that to I, I got involved in bands and songwriting and I uh, was a songwriter for a long time and then got back into theater and then eventually I when I finally went to undergrad in my first year there was an intro to drama class and as the teacher who was a playwright started talking about the history of theater it was like the first day lecture he was like you know, the, the key to everything is, you know, the idea that that initial idea that the playwright has to put to paper. Um, and in that, as he was discussing how that worked, I was coming up with an idea for a play in my head. Um. And it was like this, such a clear moment of like, uh oh, I'm a, I'm a playwright. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the wrong track. You know, I, it had been a couple of days and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm in the performance track here in this, uh, in this theater, uh, um, uh, this university theater program. But I, in that moment, I was like, oh, maybe I've made the wrong choice. Like, uh, so that was a big aha moment. So that was kind of the beginning of, uh, of writing for me. I'm really interested in, in this, in your music background. So I'm kind of wondering how that and your songwriting experience um, yeah. ties into your playwriting. Yeah, it's something I think I took for granted uh, for a long time because I separated them so vastly. I always thought, okay, uh, songwriter is a completely different muscle and tool than playwright. And it, it isn't until recently that I realized that it's kind of been, that's how my writing has been building this whole time. It's just a, a slightly different outlet. So I've always been writing. It wasn't a matter of sort of like that. I had that class and I'm like, oh, I'm a playwright. So I will do this now. Um, the writing was always there. It was just a matter of, I almost needed someone somewhere along the line to come up to me and say, oh, hey, you write and you also do theater. That's really interesting. Maybe you should combine, <laughs> combine those things. Uh, but that never happened. It kind of needed to uh -huh. come to me. It needed to be a revelation. Well, and I wonder too, I mean, if somebody had told that to you, you might not have really heard it. I think a lot of times we have to have those realizations on our own, don't you think? Oh, totally, yeah. I, I think that's that's completely fair. Um, but I, I don't I don't know. I think I, you know, in my naivete looking back, I like to think that I didn't even think playwrights really existed. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. such a, it, it's a strange, you know, thing to think about the playwrights doing the plays saying the words uh as a spectacle is one thing but then actually thinking oh someone actually sat down and, and thought this through or, or maybe they didn't think it through i think that happened <laughs> um so on our show we we talked about like writing bios and i checked out your website and we came across your artistic statement. I'll, and if it's okay, I'm just going to read a little part of it. Um, it says here, I am primarily interested in idea-driven plays and exploring new and art different methods and styles of theatrical storytelling. For this reason, my plays tend to be eclectic and singular. However, I most often return themat thematically to the exploration of memory and dreams. I'm, I am inspired by optimism and utopia over dystopia. Um, I was wondering if you could just share with us... Um, 
how you came to your this ideas and themes um, in your artistic statement? Uh, yeah, actually, um, it was in graduate school. And mm. I don't think, you know, because University of Iowa is so broad as far as what you can do there, you can do anything. You know, there's no, I mean, mm -hmm. the moment you know, they will oh, leave yeah. you alone. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to grad school. See you in a year. Um, so you can basically just kind of go off on your own journey. And we were having this discussion among the, the year that I was in about what, how we write. So everybody was kind of, you know, in a, in a, you know, jocular type of way, like, oh, uh, if I was, if I was this playwright, I would, my play would look like this, or I always talk about these themes. And we all had a good laugh when we went, you know, person by person. And then we got to me. It's like, well, Sean, I don't know. I don't, like, nobody <laughs> could really, like pinpoint exactly mm. what uh, a Sean play was. So I, I was like, well, this could be useful for me to sit down and actually think through what, what I mm. do um, and what it is. And I, because I write so eclectically and, and ideas come that may not have to do with anything that I particularly want to talk about, um, but it's something that I'm interested in investigating or have questions about. Mm -hmm. So it leads me down different paths with each play. Um, mm -hmm. I, I realized that I was trying to, to build a, an optimism, like an optimistic arc to them. So that we could kind of, when we get to the end of the play, we could look ahead and say, there is a path forward. Like we can do something about this if it's a tragedy or just simply writing comedy for the sake of, you know, comedy. Mm -hmm. um, so it, just because we're going to get into a room and we're going to laugh for a while just to forget things. And uh, that's kind of what I landed on. Um, and I don't think it's untrue. I do, however since the 2016 election that a lot of that changed for me personally. Uh, I've, you know, and a lot of what's happening now, honestly, uh, has really changed my view on optimism. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's still important. I think it's still vital that we can look ahead and see maybe not perhaps utopia, but also that we have to reckon. There's a reckoning that we have to make with ourselves and with the world first. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm really curious to hear you talk about, about how your ideas on optimism have changed. Cause I mean, earlier when we, I mean, just a moment ago, I was wondering whether you see it as part of the job of a playwright to offer that way forward, particularly in a tragedy. Um, and so, I mean, has that, has your understanding of that changed at all? Or do you think about that differently? Um, not necessarily. I, I think because I think everybody has different tools. They use different tools and, and do things a different way. Uh, sure, it, yeah. It, the thing that I've, I think I've centered on lately is, is you can't really, you can guide an audience, but one audience member is going to come out of a play with, you know, with a different idea than another audience member, sometimes they'll be completely wrong. You know, I don't, you know, when you're sitting in even 
playwright workshops among other theater professionals or you know just talking to audience members they'll just come up to you and say here's what your play is not doing or here's what your play needs and you're like right cool thank you you know i disagree but you know have a nice day or you're you know you're looking at it the wrong way and in a sense you know you, you should go back and kind of look at your play and be like hmm someone did kind of get off the wrong track where did that happen why um but uh in a way, there, there are these different tools uh, to use. And I felt like it was harder for me to get to that end of the play and be like, I, I want to wrap this up, you know, leading people into everything's going to be fine. We just have to like, you know, lean into the, our, our best, you know, impulses. Um, mm. When it started becoming clear to me that some people were leaning into what they thought were their best impulses and continue to try to do that. And they're, it's not good. <laughs> it's, it's, what do you mean? Uh, I don't know if I have a specific example, but like, you know, I, I want to be safe and I want to be protected is, is a yeah. very basic thing. And I think it's just a human thing. Do I need a police force outside of my apartment? I hope not. You know, <laughs> I'm, right. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in guns. You know, I'm not interested in, in that kind of heavy artillery. Uh, but at the same time, that is, it comes from a base instinct that people are, you know, going forward with. Uh, so that's kind of, I mean, that's a very rudimentary example. Um, I, I like to, I think faculty portrait is kind of a good um, uh, thing to jump off on because it's about a school shooting. Um, but it's, it's less about the school shooting itself and um, kind of glorifying the, the perpetrator and, you know, trying to um, pinpoint the evil in it it's trying to find uh, or celebrate how people can move on and find like the good in humanity and continue in a community, even after something terrible like that mm. happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was talking to Sam about faculty portrait before we started um, recording. And, you know, I think it's been almost more than five years since I saw it at Iowa and the world has changed, things have changed presidents have changed and all la la and I when I was watching it um again how it felt still relevant and not like the school shooting is a very specific subject but the the trauma that the characters endure like that is such a human experience that we all experience no matter what um negative mm-hmm. uh, experience that we're experiencing and I thought wow that this is that play this your play really like hit home run with that (laughs) um and I thought it was it was it was a it was a very um I don't know what's the word I was maybe meditative thing to watch (laughs) during this time as there's like I hear sirens outside my apartment um yeah so it was yeah um so yeah that's a really interesting and in that play particularly I I'm so curious um as you mentioned in your artistic bio the memories like memory play I it's so funny like we talk about it in school and I, I was like I, I I know the function I hear I see it Tennessee Williams blah, blah, blah. um <laughs> but I just like I yeah I just like to love to hear how um how memories function mm-hmm. or like how you use memories as a function for your play Oh, good question, Sarah. Oh, thanks. 
this is a solid interview. I just want to say this is like, <laughs> <laughs> knocking it out of the park. Uh, um, I faculty portrait is a very good example because it happens so out of order that you're it, it really just kind of like jumps around through various memories and uh, I wrote it like that on purpose without really thinking too much about how it worked but the when I when we sat down and we um, did the first workshop of it in Iowa I, I don't remember who it was who who said this but it was either um, uh, uh, the dramaturg or director um, who who was my wife uh, Ariel Francoeur um, so we have a kind of a shorthand <laughs> so she can like take me aside and be like um, I don't understand <laughs> so, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I think that might have been what happened was sort of someone said I don't know why we're going from this scene to this next scene uh, it's really interesting and I'm fascinated by it but why so it made me kind of sit down and, and really think about memory and how memory works and um, there, I put a quote at the beginning of the play that is from a, actually a recent John Irving novel, one that I read after Faculty Portrait, but it said it so well about memory. Uh, of course, I don't have it in front of me right now, so I can't quote it verbatim, but it has something to do with, um, you know, the way that memory works is we, we can't control it. Like, we can't control memory. Like, we'll be walking down the street and smell lilac and be like, oh, yeah, I remember my childhood home had a lilac tree. Uh, and, and I'm remembering that now. So that's that really gave me a lot of inspiration for how the play works. And then to kind of track which characters' memory we're in, mm -hmm. what it means to them, what it says about them, and how it gets us to the mindset that they're in and, and drives us to the rest of the play. Um, so I think that's a pretty good example of like how I view memory is that it, it could happen at any time. You know, memories are, could come up with a line. They could come up, uh, they, they tend to sort of come up with me structurally. So it'll, it'll really dictate the structure of the play. Um, the, the, the example that I use a lot is um, Death of a Salesman because it, it's, that play is insane. If you just like yeah. read it from beginning to end, it's just like he is out of his mind. He's just going, weaving in and out of these like memories and thoughts and they're not even all his really he's they're like imagined like uh it's fascinating um and and that's sort of like probably the best example i can make because i think a lot of you know at, at least a lot of people are familiar with the play but um mm. you see it you see a lot of it now i i see so much you know memory or at least taking advantage of um there being no real structural limits uh in in how we tell the story to an audience and i think they go hand in hand Oh gosh, yeah. I'm just thinking about, yeah, like like you're right that that memories are they're not consciously chosen um, by characters. They kind of surprise them, um, and 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 I think structurally, there's there's so much you can do with that approach. Yeah, it's such a good way to get into the psyche of a character. Um, yeah, uh, because there's so much free good Shakespeare online right now. Uh, I've, you know, been watching a lot of that, and it's so interesting to hear these monologues and these like really beautiful, elaborate speeches. And it, they they kind of go back on themselves, and they use memory a lot, and they use metaphor and and simile as well. But like they use all three of those things within one thought just to make almost 
one point. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's fascinating. So you mentioned Death of a Salesman. I'm wondering if you could talk about other plays that you really love, whether they're newer or or not. What and and you mentioned Shakespeare too. So what kinds of plays are you excited about? Uh, I think uh, it is it is funny because like the, the the first play that comes to mind when <laughs> with this question for me is another uh, memory play that works strangely with structure and strangely with everything, which is Top Girls uh, oh, by Carol Churchill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think as we, and we're, I mean, it's already acknowledged now as uh, a really great work, but I think even many years from now, decades from now, it's going to be up there with, you know, one of the greatest works ever written. Just the way that it affects you, the way that it brings you in one way where you think you're getting this play, <laughs> it completely switches everything up in the next scene. And then in the next scene, it switches it up again. And mm-hmm. so by the end, um, you're just like floored. And I just feel like even thinking about it right now, I'm like tearing up a little. I'm like, geez, this is crazy. Uh, I've never seen a production of the play. I have only read, <laughs> I've only read it. Um, but it has that effect. And I, I think that's what I value uh, above everything else. So I would say uh, top girls would be just like head and shoulders above uh, um, like particularly contemporary plays uh, for me, even though at this point it's, you know, it's like 30 years old. So uh, I love that you're choosing a play you've never seen. I mean, that's I, I like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of insane. I like to, uh, you know, I like to pretend like I've seen it many times because it's, it's run through <laughs> my mind. It's like, what is that Miss Saigon song, the, the movie in my mind? Like, it's, I've already seen it so many times by reading it, you know? There. Is there a play that you, as an actor, would love to perform in, but have never had the chance to yet? Uh, I, this, actually, this kind of leads to other plays that I love, uh, because I'm just, I've always been really um, enraptured by uh, Ibsen. Ibsen's work. Oh yeah. Uh, particularly, and it's such a you know maybe it's a, a boring choice because just people kind of call him the father of modern drama and all that good stuff. Uh, he was uh, just a, a good playwright. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he wrote some good stuff. Uh, but especially his later work, sort of after Doll's House, because um, I think I'm I'm really fascinated with success. And then what comes after? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like you hit it big, here's a success, it goes really great. And then what's the next thing you do? I'm curious, you know, and then what, what do you do after that? And then when you're really comfortable, what's really deep down in your, in your soul? Mm-hmm. Um, and the play that really kind of, uh, that I always go back to and that I use in, in teaching as well is Master Builder, because it's a play that really it just kind of lays out how he writes a play. It's almost like a, a, a playwriting manual of like, here's, here's how you set it up. Here's what's going to happen halfway through. Here's what we're getting to. And he's, he's so, so specific about like telling you what's coming mm-hmm. as you're doing it. Like, I'm going to show you the strings. I'm going to show you how it's done as we're going along the play. And then he still does it. And you're still like, dear God, like I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't think he'd actually do it. <laughs> Oh gosh, I need to go back and reread that. It's been a yeah. long time. Yeah. It's the what makes it fascinating is that um, it it has a partner in Lady from the Sea, uh, in that one of the characters from Lady from the Sea shows up 
in Master Builder out of mm -hmm. the blue. So you've got this other drama happens for the first um, maybe like 30 minutes of the play. And then all of a sudden, um, uh, the like the daughter from like a smaller character from Lady from the Sea just walks into the play and says, remember me? <laughs> and, and of course, if you just watching the Master Builder these days, you would have no freaking idea who this person was. But at the time, it was like it came out like a year after Lady from the Sea. So audiences would be sitting there familiar with one play and then in walks a character from a different play. Uh, I find mm -hmm. that so great. Like so they must, That must have been, yeah, delightful and shocking. <laughs> what? Like it, completely different drama is unfolding without her and she brings something completely different. Wow, yeah. It was a crazy Do you have a favorite summer. Chekhov play? <laughs> um, favorite Chekhov play, uh, I do. Um, I, <laughs> I have to, I have to sit here and, and remember which one it is because in, in different phases, I, I, I loved, I've, I've loved all of them in different ways. Yeah. Um, but currently I, I just think Uncle Vanya is mm. insanely good. It's yeah. just so engaging and everybody in that is, is so fun and interesting. Um, that's the one that I just I just keep coming back to and, and just, just think very highly of as far as interweaving a drama amongst characters. Do you think if Chekhov was alive, would he want to come onto the show? <laughs> I thought you already had him on. <laughs> He'd be like too busy taking care of people. Yeah, it would be a cry for help or something. It would be like, he would be saying, these actors are driving me crazy. Uh, I can't write these roles for them anymore. Uh, they just want Somehow to I, I had forgotten this and then I recently reread it. He, you know, he, his family uh, like lost all their wealth and he, he became a doctor to try to, you know, help his family out of debt. And then... But, you know, he was such a good person. He would just treat people for free. Like he didn't actually, I mean, I guess he made some money as a doctor, but he, he often refused to charge people wow. <laughs> because he was just, yeah, that's just the kind of person he was. Yeah, that's so, it's so interesting to me too, because especially that era of even Russian history is like, is there already some kind of subconscious happening where, you know, they want to take care of people? as opposed to these pirates mm. who have been, you know, lording their wealth over everybody. Right. So you have to balance like, okay, I need money to like to live. But at the same time, we can't forget about people. We can't forget about the poor. Right. Um, so it's, you know, that's kind of like the root of, of the revolution. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's in all of his work too. It's like, it's there. It's just this undercurrent of, of sort of like, you know, oh, we're forgetting about, um, you know, uh, Fears, I think that's his name. The, the, um, the oh my gosh, Fears. Dear God, like this poor yeah. guy. And then to, to be like, okay, well, the play is basically over and the family leaves, but to end it with him is like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's what the play is about. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's such an amazing moment because I find every time I teach that play that 
people find that final moment both tragic and like you can't talk about it without laughing it's so I mean it's so I mean it's so horrible that they leave him there and then he just dies alone and yet like because of how horrible it is like every time I talk to people about it they laugh yeah which I I guess is just that Russian sensibility yeah he's so funny too like his his plays are friggin hands down hilarious yeah they're so good and they they just sneak up on you that way (laughs) just like Mm. you know what is the meaning of snow like come on (laughs) (laughs) so sean before we um a couple more questions before we come to an end um when what advice would you give to our listeners who are um writing a new play for the first time or just trying to get started uh yeah it's a great question i um I have a very glib answer that I've actually said in my playwriting classes, which I don't necessarily believe. It was usually not true. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I say that you should really, you know, I, I think I say it to take the pressure off of writing a play and, and putting work out there, especially in a playwriting class. Like there's some real slog. You get a slog through some real stuff. Um, and kind of what I say is that you should throw away your first 10 plays. Just Oh, wow. Possibly. Like, yeah. play, write it and then throw it away. Um, I kind of I kind of use this in songwriting too, and I think it comes from that mentality is I'll sit around with my guitar and just kind of play around and create things and songs, and, and then I'll put the guitar away. And then if I come back to it a week later and I still remember the song and I still remember the tune, then I keep it. Mm-hmm. So, but if I don't remember it, it wasn't worth it. It's not gonna happen. Um, it's definitely different in playwriting because I think you actually build. I think, you know, you, and, and the idea of like, it can work differently. Like you write a play and then maybe throw it away, but take the same idea and just start from the beginning and rewrite it. Right. Or take off the first 10 pages of the play. I mean, I often find that, um, you know, the first part you write is just you kind of teaching yourself about the play and then you can get rid of that. Oh, for sure. Like, um, where's the yeah. action? Like, where's the first, you know, yeah. finding your, your initial, you know, um, your, your inciting incident is so important. Like, you're just going to be like, where is it? Can it, it's got to be bumped as close to the start of the play as possible. Mm. Um, I love this idea, though, about yeah. getting, you know, it's reminding me, I think I've talked about this on the show before, that Joe Hill, who is uh, the son of Stephen King and, and, used the name Joe Hill so that nobody could, you know, say he was just riding on his father's coattails. But he wrote eight novels that remain unpublished uh, and in a drawer. Wow. um, Before he was able to publish a novel, which was the ninth one he had written. Yeah, I I love to read early plays by playwrights too. Like, what was your first? I love to see early movies by directors and just like, what is what is the first thing you ever did? (laughs) Like, what you know, what was your inspiration early on? So it's it's very fascinating. And I mean, we know, you know, as as playwrights, that an actual play that you know means something and says all the things or most of the things you want to say, we're talking like you know seven to ten years of like editing and 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 living with it and seeing it up on its feet and changing it again and you know it's rare that you just sit down and just like here's the play i mean unless you're edward albee and you're like boom i'm just gonna write everything about 
this play and characters, and then I'll just edit by cutting things. And it's um, perfect, and nobody can change a word. <laughs> it is unavailable. <laughs> it's so good. Um, also, a, a, a touch long, but uh, <laughs> it's like Act Three. What is happening? Um, but still, you know, I, I think editing is so important. Like, like rewriting is is one of the most important things that that we do. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things to do. Is um, at home well since I've, I've been having so much time recently um it was like pick a director and i just or like a film director and i'll just like try to watch all their movies Ooh, that's cool yeah it was like a little movie festival film festival um and then it is really interesting what there is tends to be a core idea that kind of still resonates in every every one of their films it almost always so that's really interesting yeah, I think you can boil things down to a lot of artists and and sort of yeah. you know start start backing away, uh, sort of like those mosaic uh, <laughs> paintings where you're like, oh, it's Darth Vader's face, but then when you look <laughs> look really close, it's, something, <laughs> it's, it's pictures of you know cats. I don't know. Right, um, right, right. But you know the the other the other thing I would you know I would throw out there in class because I would I would also I'm that's really like really it, it's interesting advice and it's interesting. <laughs> But it's 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 very surface level. Like um, it doesn't really work for everyone. Everyone's so different. Uh, and the second thing that I would I would really point out is like that's that's your strength. It's like who you are is not your. The point is that you're not Ibsen. Like you're not Shakespeare. You're not Carol Churchill. You know you are you, and that's what everybody's going to be interested in because it's different. Yeah. You know if you're writing the same themes and exactly the same stories in the same way it's been seen, you know, don't be boring. Like we, we have enough of that, you know, just, we have, we need the new, if we don't have the new, then that's, that's where the stagnant comes in. That's like where it's, you know, these regional theaters that keep doing Neil Simon, although Neil Simon's very funny, it's bankable, you know, uh, there's, it, it becomes a very level surface. We're not really learning anything. Uh, it's, it's, it's those new stories, the, you know, if you look at the success of something like Netflix and all of their original programming, you know, it's different. It's like different stories that you've never seen before. Like, that's why it's so fascinating. Like, you know, open up my imagination and my brain, please. Mm. Uh, So that was kind of like the second thing that I would tell the playwrights, like tell your story, be yourself, find what that is. That's part of (laughs) what makes it the hardest thing to do. Mm. Who are you? Who am I? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But then have your story, you know, not be boring. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's so beautiful. And yeah, and I, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sean, last question. I'm going to uh-huh. give you an easy one, okay? <laughs> Softball. Right. How, how would you define what it means to be an artist in the 21st century? I'm not the sure why that. Writers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually not an easy question. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure why that's <laughs> the opening for that is, okay, this, let's, let's take it out on an easy note. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see, actually, this is a completely different story, but there's, there was a sketch comedy group uh, in the 90s called The State, and they had this, um, uh, one of their sketches was called uh, What is Art? And basically, they they opened on the studio audience and then they had these this panel of artists and they all came from different disciplines and they introduced them these long 
fires. They were all amazing artists. They had so much influence in the world. And then at the very end, the, the moderator just turns to one of the painters and says, uh, what is art? And then he sits there and he just thinks for a minute. And then he turns to the moderator and says, like uh, paintings and stuff. <laughs> and then the moderator says, yes, that's it. Thank you. Good night. Um, I, I think uh, to actually answer the question, there, <laughs> uh, right now, I just think uh, in the 21st century, we're, what was that term? Like people were talking about like metamodern, like the, like postmodern, metamodern, megamodern. Uh, but let's, let's just, I think what we're doing now is just throwing the modern away. Like, mm. like mm-hmm. f- forget it. Like, <laughs> yes, it, the modern drama, you know, built this form of playwriting lovely. Then the postmodern, you know, deconstructed it and, you know, talked about things more like ritual and, you know, what, are, you know, what is, what can a play be? Metamodern is sort of like this mirror of like all these other things. Uh, I think Sarah Rule is a good example of that. Like um, plays where you're, you're again, expecting one thing and something else happens. Um, that Like something magical, like a, a, a moment, like a theatrical moment that just changes your perception. Uh, August Wilson is, is, like the master of this, yeah. uh, all ten of his plays, you, you're you're just watching this drama unfold, and then like a ghost is there, or you know uh, someone is like does like a song or a dance that's otherworldly, and it's like oh my god, I am <laughs> learning something about myself, and it's painful. Um, mm. But those things are great. The uh, those perception shifts uh, are everything now and i think that's kind of where we are we're in this very speculative um mixing um the ideas and the absurd and the poignant um what does it mean to uh be human you know what does it mean to want things or deserve things uh all of these things are slamming into each other uh and it's it's fascinating and great there there's some really great stuff coming out now um Mm -hmm. And I think actually the mark of the 21st century and not just artists, but, you know, theater in general is that slamming together of things um, Mm. in a way that if you sit down and read the play, the text, it's like you can't really make heads or tails of it. That it's not this kind of like linear, oh, I'm following a story, um, that you actually need all of the components. Mm -hmm. You need the play, you need the scenic you need the lighting you need the sets you need everything happening in order to really understand what is being built um and a small tangent i think some of that comes from our uh liberal arts um education most of us go through a system that is we have to learn how to do all these things as i mentioned like (laughs) in grade school but it actually goes through you know building sets and costumes and things in undergrads and all that good stuff that by the time you're sitting there writing these plays, you're actually thinking about the set. You're thinking about the costumes. You're thinking about the actors uh, and and kind of the cool things that you can do um, beyond just the text. Right. You're imagining it as a three-dimensional collaborative art form. Yeah. 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 Lots to think about. Yeah. <laughs> wow, leave, Sean. Let's leave wow. a 10-minute pause. <laughs> <laughs>
for the uh, audience. Uh, um. <laughs> They're used to it. <laughs> They're used to it. We're just going to replay, replay your theme song uh, for a while. <laughs> just sit with everything. Uh. <laughs> uh, um, all right. So before we move on to glistens, Sean, um, first of all, thank you so much for being on our show. Like this is incredible. Um, uh, where can our listeners find you? Um, actually, first I want to say thank you both. Cause I, I think this is a great, um, podcast and idea and process and you are two of my you know favorite people of all time oh <laughs> wow yeah, just wonderful and giving and uh you know just pleasant people and it's rare <laughs> so <laughs> you heard I, it I here first folks. you've just been in new york for too long i think it, it just, <laughs> yeah, i just go out just go out screaming obscenities here <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I start. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, people can really, you can find me on my website at this point. Mm -hmm. You, you know, if you want to like see my work, it's on there. You can even request licensing if you wanted to license my plays. Uh, I've set it up so you can uh, do that. Um, cool. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. So, and your website is? It is, you can uh, just search my name, Sean David Demers. Uh, it's a Wix site. So like giving you the entire, gotcha. <laughs> I haven't actually okay. bought a domain because, you know, Yeah. Uh, let, let me sell a play first and then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, be, we'll make sure to link it um, in our notes. Cool. All right. Should we move on to glistens? Sean, do you remember glistens? <laughs> it's uh yeah i do i remember glistens i remember you know all of the various names that we had for them uh, <laughs> like, sparkles i think I was one sparkles was a good one uh they just basically it got out of control i think for, for, <laughs> for, for dare, I think it was, it totally was uh but what's great about dairy is like i'm just gonna let this happen because uh it's beyond me <laughs> I think Dare was the one who gave them new names. I, yeah. I see. I think I I seem to remember though it did start with Sharon Bridgeforth. Oh, you might be right. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, and I think it was in in the moment too. I don't think that she meant to start them. <laughs> she was just sort of like, oh yeah, we have to do that thing. What do you call it? Like, like <laughs> <laughs> bobbles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. Well, anyway. So glistens are, you know, something from the week that you want to highlight. Yeah, uh, I, I, I guess I can start. I, I think positively, the only thing, it's so hard to find anything positive right now, uh, but the um, YouTube is really just discovering that YouTube is really a place for like live concerts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> has mm -hmm. really been very distracting and, and really great uh, to yeah. see. Like you can, at this point, especially with the pandemic, people are posting old shows as fundraisers. So there's all this old like Nirvana concerts. There's like Radiohead. <laughs> there's like um, Janet Jackson, Prince. Um and it's it's everything it's like it's pretty much everybody's like well i got this concert on vhs tape so let's get it out there um and it's it's kind of fun you know it's it's the next best thing to being there <laughs> so, uh, and that's positive and 
Um, is there one of those yeah. in particular that you think is definitely worth watching? I that you recommend? they're all worth watching. I I, I took a, a lot of time and I, I spent some time with a, an old band that I liked when I was in grade school, which was Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, and oh just gosh. watch. I know it's insane. Like from the 1980 to the 1985 to the 1989, it, just watching their progression was very it's fascinating um but also uh the prince concert that he has up is it's i can't i can't even put it into words i swear there's for 20 minutes he just runs around the stage while his band is just vamping and he's just he just lays on the ground for a while he he goes over and watches a pretend movie and then makes out with someone (laughs) and it's it's amazing. I, I like I can't believe that he like this is like someone has the guts to be this theatrical in this way. Yeah. Uh, who's not like David Bowie or like something like Kiss or you know uh, and, and not that model of like here are my hit songs I'm going to do this. But that he's like sculpted this actual theatrical entertainment based on And that's I think that's what artists can do for us is they can they can show us new visions of how to be in the world yeah for sure oh that's really cool okay i'm gonna check that out well my glisten is um just the protests that are happening around this country i've been Mm. like kind of glued nonstop to the news and but but i wanted to highlight that the minnesota freedom fund raised 20 million dollars in the last couple days wow um and yeah, I just think that's amazing. Um, that's and, and you know, I'm thinking too about how, like, there's nothing new about this, the, about the deaths that happened this week, you know? And mm-hmm. so how do we, the question I'm asking is like, how, how do we maintain this level of engagement all the time, you know? Mm. I think, yeah, it's so hard because it's so um, it's so easy in this country to become complacent because those things are put in place like, yeah, capitalistically and financially, like you can achieve something that you then then be removed from everything else if you really want to. Yeah. But we so desperately need like this kind of like actual direct revolutionary mindset if, if things are actually going to change. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your glisten, Sarah? Yeah, so I feel like this is such a interesting episode because we were talking about memories and this whole pro- pro- uh, protest and having everything that's been going on. Um, and also today being like the last day of Asian American History Month. Month. <laughs> um, I just remembered a specific time, um, and I shared this with Sam, but um, middle school, high school, I just found myself remembering letting my, you know, friends, who all all happen to be white girls, um, just, you know, taking my last name and sort of giving me a nickname that's very, like, (laughs) stereotyped, Um, and I just remember thinking like, oh, you know, I'm just being part of the group or like they're, they are, um, 
just inviting me into the group and stuff. But I kind of just like remember I just keep playing this my mind over and over. Just like why why did I just? I mean, obviously I was young and a kid, um, but just like letting them do that, <laughs> um, taking my name and putting it into like a racial slur, and it's it's so it's yeah. I mean, and just now. I don't know why it took me so long. I'm like, well, that's not okay. <laughs> like, why did I let that? Yeah. Why did I say it was fun? It's okay. We're being funny. But like that, uh, giving them that permission, I think, is now dangerous, like, to um, make that space or, like, to give them that uh, opportunity at all. Um, but And it sounds like there's something about this moment that made you remember that yeah. and think about it d- differently. Yeah, it's like it's a combination of a lot of things that's happening. But yeah, yeah, I, it's yeah. I'm like, why, why did I think? I'll just like it's okay. Yeah, uh, use my name in a weird <laughs> racial slur way, and um, they're still my friends. I forgive them. I'm not gonna name them. Clearly, <laughs> 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 um, they are not your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, Sarah, I'm really sorry that happened. Oh, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, <laughs> but um, I'm. It's 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 a it's it. This moment in time right now is just I have been opening my eyes to a lot of things that happened and that I was sort of very uh, apologetic about. And I'm like, man, yeah. Well. Yeah. Maybe I should have gone first. This is a very downer <laughs> note. <laughs> well, it's well, important that, that, that brings up reflectiveness and stuff. Yeah. yeah. If, we, and, that's, if anything else comes out of this, that we can be reflective and think about those things and how we can, like, speak truth to power. It's, like, it's huge. Yeah. And it definitely ties into what we were talking about in terms of how memory mm-hmm. surprises you and, and you can't control it. And it teaches us things, you know. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you. It's thrilling. Uh, I love this. uh, I love that it became a a memory theme. (laughs) So that was our interview with Sean Demers. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Uh, We sure did. Right, Sam? Yeah, so good. Uh, so as always folks remember to subscribe like share yeah and just a reminder for all of you listeners out there if you have an idea for an episode a topic that you'd like to hear us discuss or maybe somebody you think we should interview please send those suggestions our way we would love to hear them yeah we love those suggestions we love them like I love pie Okay. Yep. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Bye.